the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. And Jesus said unto them, Thus it is written, 
and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tear ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. You shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Then return they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a, sa a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode Peter and James and John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and said, you men of Judea, and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young shall see visions, and your old shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved." When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto the church about three thousand souls. When God 
steps down from heaven. Men in the streets are afraid to open their mouths and utter godless words, lest the judgments of God fall upon them. When sinners, overawed by the presence of God, tremble in the streets and cry for mercy, when without special meetings and sensational advertising, the Holy Spirit sweeps across cities and towns in supernatural power and holds men in the grip of terrifying conviction, when every shop becomes a pulpit and every heart an altar, every home a sanctuary, and people walk softly before God. This is revival. Today the word revival has largely lost its real meaning. Our present generation, never having witnessed the mighty movings of God in nationwide spiritual awakenings such as has taken place in past generations, has little conception of the magnitude of such a visitation. Revival is today confused with evangelism. Heaven-sent revival is not religious entertainment where crowds gather to hear outstanding preachers and musical programs. Neither is it the result of sensational advertising. In a God-sent revival, you don't spend money on advertising. People come because revival is there. Revival is an awareness of God that grips the whole community and the roadside the tavern, the bars, as well as the church, becomes the place where men find Jesus. Here is the vast difference between our modern evangelistic campaigns and true revival. In the former, hundreds may be brought to acknowledge Jesus Christ, and churches experience seasons of blessings. But as far as the community is concerned, little or no impact is made. The clubs and the bars and the dance halls and the movies are still crowded. The godlessness marches on. In revival, the Spirit of God, like a cleansing flame, sweeps through the community. Divine conviction grips people everywhere. The strongholds of the devil tremble, and many close their doors while multitudes turn to Christ. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. What I'm describing as revival will not happen without someone being baptized in the Holy Spirit as in Pentecost. That baptism must come. And some of us must pay the price to hunger after that baptism and give up the casualness of our day and the entertainment and the wickedness of our day and be made right with Jesus. And of course, we're asking, will you make that decision? Will you give your life in its entirety to Jesus Christ? Leave your sin and seek his face. A great revival came to the United States in 1857. The mighty visitation of those days, from which flowed almost a century of spiritual blessing, 
challenges us even today. Like a spiritual tornado, the Spirit of God swept through America, and New England became the center of the Great Awakening, resulting in huge numbers of people finding salvation. In some towns, it was reported as almost impossible to find anyone who had not been converted. Like a great spiritual epidemic, tremendous conviction of sin swept through the country, and thousands turned to Christ. Drunkards, as they stood at the bars, gamblers, as they sat at the card tables, congregations, as they sat in churches, even passengers on board incoming ships came under the influence of this strange and wonderful moving of God, and kneeling in repentance, found pardon. In many places during this revival in the United States in 1857, dance halls, theaters, and gambling dens were closed or emptied. New churches began to spring up everywhere. Family altars were restored, and the spirit of prayer grew in intensity until anyone across the country could find a midday prayer meeting in almost any town. It was estimated that as many as 50,000 decisions for Christ were made in one week when this gracious visitation was at its height. Following in its wake came mighty preachers of the Word of God, including D.L. Moody, under whose ministry multitudes were called to repentance, and pioneer missionaries came out of this revival, who then took the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. The Welsh Revival of 1904 stands in the history of Wales as a year that will never be forgotten, and those who were privileged to live in those days will speak of it heaven-sent scenes with greatest awe. Like a mighty tornado, the Spirit of God swept across the land until mountains and valleys, cities and villages were filled with the mighty manifestations of God. Churches were crowded and meetings went on day and night. Prayer, singing, testimony would sweep over congregations in torrents and hundreds turned to Christ. Never in the history of Wales had such indescribable scenes been witnessed. Dr. Campbell Morgan, preaching on this great revival in the Westminster Chapel in 1904, declared, here is revival that comes from heaven. There is no preaching, no order, no hymn books, no choirs, no organs, no collections, no advertising. Now think of that for a moment. There were organs, but they were silent. There were ministers, but no preaching. They were among the people praising God. Yet the Welsh revival is a revival of preaching, for everybody is preaching. No order, yet it moves with day-to-day, county-to-county, matchless precision, with the order of an attacking force. No songbooks, but ah! I nearly wept tonight over the singing. When the Welsh sing, they abandon themselves to their singing. We sing as if there was... We sing as if we thought it wouldn't be respectable to be heard by the one next to us. No choir, did I say. Oh, it was all a choir. 
Today, the Sunday school, the Bible class, the family altar are reaping their harvest. Wales is ablaze for God. Already, 50,000 converts have been recorded, and the Great Awakening shows no sign of waning. It's sweeping over hundreds of hamlets and cities, emptying saloons and theaters and dance halls, and filling the churches night after night with praying multitudes. Go where you will, into the bank, the store, the trains. Everywhere men are talking about God. If you could stand above Wales, looking at it, you would see the fire breaking out here and there and yonder, and somewhere else without any prearrangement. It's a divine visitation in which God, let me say this reverently, in which God is saying to us, See what I can do without the things you're depending on. See what I can do through a praying people who are prepared to depend wholly and absolutely upon me. Like a tree shaken by a mighty storm, Wales was moved by the power of God until almost every home in the nation felt its impact. Newspapers in bold headlines carried the news of the amazing scenes taking place. So great was the fear of God and conviction of sin that gripped the people that in some communities crime disappeared. Magistrates were presented with a blank paper, no cases to be tried. And to commemorate the occasion, they were presented with white gloves. In more than one place, the post office supply of money orders was exhausted as people sought to make restitution by paying their debts. Saloons and theaters were closed while stores were sold out of Bibles and New Testaments. Members of Parliament, busy attending revival services, postponed their political meetings. Theatrical companies coming into districts found no audience, for all the world was praying. Temperance workers saw the Spirit of God accomplish more in three months than they had accomplished in 40 years. Such then is revival. A mighty, sovereign moving of God in answer to the cries of men and women who have gone down upon their knees to travail before God. A visitation of God through His Spirit that pours tormenting conviction of sin upon the ungodly wherever they may be until multitudes have turned to Christ a demonstration of God that closes the dens of iniquity transforming the lives and homes of multitudes fills the churches causes the influence of spiritual values to be felt throughout the whole nation a genuine moving of God that lays a spiritual foundation for the blessing of God in future generations. This is revival. With the ashes of past revivals before us, for those scenes today are only history, we may ask the question, can these revivals be repeated? Can God send a similar revival today in America? Yes, we are convinced that God can do more than that. God is waiting to do it. In every age, the revival resources of God 
have been waiting to be turned loose when God could find men and women who could stand before him in holiness, prayer, and faith and make it possible. And to those who travel the highways of the world, there are obvious and encouraging signs that God is again preparing the way for a new spiritual awakening. The Hebrides, which although are just the size of a man's hand, is not only one of the most stirring events of our recent history, but under the blessing of God, it is challenging men and women everywhere to stand in the gap for revival in our day. The spiritual awakening of the Hebrides between 1949 and 1952 has stirred the hearts of God's people, not because of its size, but because of its quality and to challenge that for today. In spite of the scattered nature of the country and the difficulty of transportation, the rugged and unemotional nature of the people, the limited population, the fact that hundreds have turned to Christ in life-changing conversion, accompanied by such God-given scenes, inspires us with new faith for a far greater awakening in our own country. Just as the tidings of the Great Awakening swept through America in 1857, and then went across the ocean and brought revival to Ireland in 1859, so it may be in the purposes of God that attention that has been focused upon that which God has wrought in the Hebrides and other recent revivals, that this challenge of intercession may cause a flame of revival to be kindled in America that it will cause the whole land to be swept with a mighty Holy Ghost revival. We're from the National Prayer Chapel, where Pastor Ray Greenlee and Alexandra Greenlee were sharing with you some material called When God Stepped Down from Heaven. Almighty God, I cry out to you today because I know America either must go into full-blown revival or we are going into full judgment and many thousands of people will lose their lives and America will never be the same again. I know we're right at that break point where either we will give ourselves to crying out in repentance before you and calling for the baptism of the Holy Spirit for revival or we will face destruction as a nation and we will never be the same again. Lord, I know I choose revival. I choose revival. Please come, Jesus. Baptize your servants in the mighty power of your Holy Spirit. Call forth men and women who will stand, though the heavens fall, who will give their money and their time, and they will sacrifice everything for you, Jesus, that you could come again and revive this this people once again. 
Come, Holy Spirit of the living God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Electrified by this conviction that revival is here, the great crowd of people drawn from every part of the earth to the world-famous Keswick Convention in England began to slowly file out of the convention tent. Suddenly, a woman in an awestruck voice exclaimed, It was just as though God had stepped out of heaven. And so it seemed, for I too had sat spellbound listening to the most thrilling, faith-inspiring message I'd ever heard, a message that has been destined to sweep across the face of the earth, stirring men and women to seek the face of God as never before. It was news of the gracious visitation of God to the Hebrides. Never in its many years of history had that great convention been more highly stirred as it listened to the report of the amazing scenes that were taking place just a few hundred miles away. Hundreds were being converted, many without a word being spoken to them. Alcoholics trembling under conviction in the bar, while people gathered in churches to pray in great conviction of sin would sweep over whole districts causing sinners to fall helpless to the road. Many meetings lasting for hours and four services being held nightly, with churches being transformed, the preacher being called at four o'clock in the morning to pray with men and women outside the police station who'd been stricken with great conviction and were crying for God to have mercy upon them. Memories of The great Welsh revival in 1904 gripped the people. They remembered the amazing scenes of those historic days, meetings being held day and night, churches packed to capacity, while thousands turned to Christ. Because of lack of parsonage, patronage, theater, saloons, they were all closed. Thieves and murders surrendered to the Lord and Police courts were idle, sins were confessed, and old debts were paid. Work was forgotten, and frequently meetings would last for days at a time. Christmas 1904 was the first real Christmas many children in Wales and even men and women had ever had. Instead of being spent drinking, parting as formerly, hard-earned wages were used for groceries and toys. The poverty of former days had been replaced with joy and plenty, for Christ had been invited into thousands of homes. Virtually the whole of Wales was on its knees on Christmas Day. That revival lasted about four years and then swept through England, Ireland, parts of Europe, and even crossed the ocean to Australia and America, changing the lives of thousands. From that unforgettable meeting at Keswick, ministers and Christian workers of all denominations, stirred as they had never been before, hurried back to their churches to to call their people to prayer, convinced that a great 
heaven-sent spiritual awakening was about to break forth in the world. And now as the great crowds slowly leave the tent, filling the long, narrow streets in this market town, a man is standing by my side talking to me. It is the man whom God had used in this remarkable move of God. I can still hear his closing words of challenge. When you return to America, rouse the people. Tell them what God is doing. I believe every church can have what we are having in the Hebrides. There is no mystery, but there is a secret. If God can find a people over there prepared to pay the price as they have here, he will visit them in the same revival power. Every word that fell from his lips seemed to burn into my soul as I became conscious that the Spirit of God was speaking to me and giving me a new commission. As I remembered the tremendous impact of the message upon the great crowd of people that afternoon, a great conviction gripped me. Here was the message of the hour, which surely every minister in church throughout the world ought to hear. Canceling my evangelistic campaigns, I returned immediately to America to rouse the people to seek the face of God that a similar spiritual awakening might speedily be given. The impact of this dramatic message was so tremendous. Churches and communities began to pray. Powerful prayer groups had sprung up everywhere, and church meetings had been revitalized. In many churches, the all-night prayer meeting had been restored and introduced for the first time, resulting in the real moving of the Spirit of God in confession of sin, conviction. A whole new change upon the, the ministers and the congregation. In some towns, citywide all-night prayer meetings had been held by the churches as they interceded before God for the whole community. Godly ministers of all denominations burdened for real revival are seeking God in fasting and prayer on behalf of their churches. And many have witnessed glorious manifestations of God among the congregations such as they had not known before. On occasion, it's been impressed and impossible for the preachers to preach their sermons. The Spirit of God had quietly swept through the congregations, causing people to be brought under conviction. Then groups would rise to their feet and walk down the aisles to kneel, sobbing at the altars, confessing their sins, without a word being preached to them. Camp meetings, Bible colleges, and conventions have been challenged and stirred, while large numbers have swept to the altars to accept Christ as Savior. Churches hungry for revival are anxious for the message to be taken to them. Realizing the utter impossibility of reaching every church personally with the spoken message, and conscious of the desperate need for Christians Facing up to the challenge of this tremendous message now, that a real, heaven-sent revival might come to this great country, 
I send forth this God-honored message in the form of this booklet with a very earnest prayer that wherever it may go, revival blessings shall flow. No literary excellency is claimed for this simple book, the contents of which are mainly based upon personal interviews with those directly connected the revival to the revival. No attempt has been made to either minimize or exaggerate this gracious visitation, but realizing a number of reporters describing the same scenes may differ in minor points, the writer makes no claims for perfect accuracy in chronology of events or minor details. It is the conviction of the writer that the gracious blessing of God among the Hebrides is God's message of the hour, containing potentialities for the greatest sovereign moving of God and revival power that our generation has known and comes to us as our personal challenge. Almighty God, I listen to this man's words. I listen to your spirit. And I know, Lord, this book was written many years ago. And today, there is not prayer sweeping our nation. In fact, most of our churches in America are filled with entertainment. They're just events. Sinners and saints together come to hear the word of God. And there's no line of demarcation between the lost and the saved. There's no conviction of sin. There are no tears. The theaters are full. The bars are full. The clubs are full. And your presence is far from us. Men worship at the altar, O God, of ambition and money and prestige and power. Lord, would you come and break this? Would you come and bring revival? Would you step down from heaven once again, almighty God, as you have in days gone past? Lord, the revival all petered out in America. We haven't been blessed with revival in any way since the Jesus movement. And Lord, the churches rejected the dirty hippies. And the revival petered out. And since then, we've been even more dead. Lord, I come in full faith today for the baptism of your Holy Spirit. I put on the sacrifice altar my money, my time, everything I am, everything I have to prepare for revival in America. Lord, cause us to step forward and sacrifice all that we have and all that we are for the work of revival. Lord, it's not a program, I know. It's you, yourself, the mighty God of heaven, by your Spirit, stepping down from heaven. Please come, Jesus. Please come, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Preparation 
must precede revival. Preparation must precede revival. The Word of God, history, and the gracious visitation of God to the Hebrides emphasizes this fact, and that preparation must begin with God's people. History turned another page when the Free Church Presbytery of Lewis met in the town of Stornoway to discuss the appalling spiritual conditions existing in their communities. While the places of sin were crowded, churches were almost empty, and many places youth had almost disappeared from the house of God, and it seemed only a matter of time before many churches would have to close their doors. No one, however, dreamed for a moment that this special meeting was destined to be the preliminary to the amazing spiritual awakening that was to come. Among the many who were deeply concerned about the spiritual condition of the churches was a little group of men who lived at Barvis, the district that was to become the center of the outbreak of revival. As they met in a little wooden barn, greatly burdened for revival for their community, and began to pray, there suddenly dawned upon them, like a flash of light, the great fact of God as a covenant-keeping God who has made covenant promises. If this is true, they reasoned, we can enter into a covenant with him, and if we keep our part of it, then he must keep his. Has God given a covenant promise for revival? Immediately the words of God in Second Chronicles 7.14 came to them. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. That night they entered into a solemn covenant with God to take upon themselves the burden for revival for the community, to humble themselves, and to prevail in prayer until revival came. Let me now take you to that little barn by the side of the road and see those men on their faces before God. They have gathered to pray, but this is no ordinary prayer meeting. Here are men, led by their minister, who are there to do business with God, and at ten o'clock at night they kneel down in the straw to plead with God that he would make bare his arm in revival. For months they waited. For months they gathered in the little barn three nights a week and waited upon God until four and five o'clock in the morning, determined to wrestle with God until the answer had been given. Then one night a young man, a deacon from the free church, arose from his knees and began to read Psalm 24. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, he shall receive the blessings of the Lord. Brethren, he said, we have been praying for months for revival, waiting before God, but I would like to ask you now, are our hearts clean? Is the heart pure? In response to this searching challenge, they fell upon their knees in confession and rededication, and again began to travail in prayer even more earnestly. An hour of them, three, an hour later, three of them were lying prostrate on the floor. They had prayed until they were exhausted. By five o'clock, revival had come. The barn was suddenly filled with the glory of God, and the power of God that was let loose in that barn shook the whole community of Lewis. 
That same morning, in a little college, several cottage several miles away, lived two elderly sisters. One was eighty-four, and the other two, the other eighty-two years of age. For many years they had sought the face of God for revival, and knowing that the men were waiting upon God, they had gathered around their little peat fire to spend the night in prayer. Suddenly, the glory of God swept into their cottage. God then spoke to them, revealing to them the very man whom he was going to use, the Reverend Duncan Campbell, a Presbyterian minister and a mighty man of prayer. In two weeks, said the Lord, I shall send upon this community the greatest spiritual awakening it has known. A wire was sent to Duncan Campbell, but when he received it and discovered that he was already booked up for another meeting, he replied, It's impossible for me to come at this time, but keep praying and I will come next year. When the reply was given to the sisters, they answered, That is what man has said. God has said that he will be here in two weeks. In the meantime, other letters began to reach him, and strangely enough, his next meeting was cancelled. The holiday convention, which he was to address, was suddenly cancelled, owing to the touring board sweeping in and commandeering the hotels and boarding houses, which the convention had been depending upon for accommodation. Within a fortnight, the Reverend Duncan Campbell was in Barbus. The first meeting was held in the old parish church, Many people had gathered in a great expectancy of a great moving of God, but strangely enough, nothing happened. It was just an ordinary service. Seeing the disappointment upon the preacher's face, one of the praying deacons came to him. Don't be discouraged, he said. It's coming. I already hear the rumbling of heaven's chariot wheels. We will have another night of prayer, and then we will see what God is going to do. They went over to a nearby cottage, and about thirty knelt in prayer, and began to travail before the Lord. Three o'clock in the morning, God swept in, and about a dozen were laid prostrate on the floor, speechless. Something had happened. God had moved into action as he had promised. Revival had come, and men and women were going to find deliverance. As they left the cottage that morning, they found men and women seeking God. Lights were burning in the homes along the road. No one seemed to think of sleeping. Three men were found lying by the roadside in a torment of conviction, crying for God to have mercy upon them. The Spirit of God was moving into action, and soon the parish of Barvis was to be stirred from end to end. when revival comes, Alexandra, it doesn't come in a small way. It comes with great power. We need that revival. We need God to come in great power. The events of the second night will never be forgotten by those who were privileged to attend. Buses came from the four corners of the island, crowding the church. Seven men were being driven to the meeting in a butcher's truck. Suddenly the Spirit of God fell upon these men in great conviction, and they were all converted before they reached the church. 
As the preacher delivered his message, tremendous conviction of sin swept down upon the people. Tears rolled down the faces of the people. From every part of the building came cries of men and women crying for mercy. So deep was the distress. Some of the voices could be heard outside in the road. A young man, kneeling beneath the pulpit, cried out, Oh God, hell is too good for me. The meeting closed when the people began to move out. As the last person was about to leave, a young man began to pray. Under a tremendous burden of intercession, he prayed for three quarters of an hour, and as he prayed, the people kept gathering until there were twice as many outside the church as there had been inside. When the young man stopped praying, the elder gave out Psalm 132, and the great congregation sang the old hymn, the people streaming back into the church again, and the meeting went on until 4 a.m. The moment people took their seats, the Spirit of God in awful conviction swept through the church, and hardened sinners began to weep and confess their sins. Just as the meeting was closing, a messenger hurried up to the preacher, very excited. He said, Come with me. There's a crowd of people outside the police station. They're weeping. They're in awful distress. We don't know what's wrong with them, but they're calling for someone to come and pray with them. Describing the scene outside the police station, which, remi which reminded one of the amazing days of Charles Finney and the Welsh revival, the minister declared, I saw a sight I never thought was possible. Something I shall never forget. Under a starlit sky, men and women were kneeling everywhere, by the roadside, outside the cottage, even behind the peat stacks, crying for God to have mercy upon them. Nearly 600 people who had been making their way to the church when suddenly the Spirit of God had fallen upon them in great conviction and like Paul on the way to Damascus, causing them to fall to their needs in repentance. Revival had surely come. For five weeks it swept on in that one parish. Duncan Campbell conducted four services every night, in one church at seven o'clock, in another at ten, in a third at midnight, and back to the first one at three o'clock and home between five and six o'clock in the morning, tired but very happy to be in the midst of such a wonderful moving of God. After five weeks in this district, the revival began to spread, and what had taken place in Barvis was repeated in other districts. As men and women throughout the island began to grip God in desperate intercession and prayer for revival, the Spirit of God swept on in increasing power. Arnel, a small community, came within the path of this spiritual tornado. Gripped by a spirit of religious indifference, it was reckoned that hardly a young person darkened the house of God. The Sabbath was given over to the bar, poaching, and other sinful pleasures. News of the gracious moving of God having spread through the island, it was here where an opposition meeting was held 
lest a similar visitation fall upon Arnold. Although the church was crowded with those who came from the various parts of the island, very few people from Arnold attended the services. In desperation, the little prayer band made their way to the farmhouse to plead the promises of God. Just after midnight, a young man rose to his feet and prayed a prayer that will never be forgotten by those there. Lord, you made a promise. Are you going to fulfill it? We believe that you are a covenant-keeping God. Will you be true to your covenant? You have said that you will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. Lord, I know how these ministers stand in your presence, but if I know my own heart, I know where I stand, and I tell thee now that I am thirsty. Oh, I am thirsty for a manifestation of the presence and power of God. And Lord, before I sit down, I want to tell you that your honor is at stake. Have you ever prayed like that? Here is a man praying the prayer of faith that heaven must answer. One could imagine the angels of heaven looking over the battlements of glory and saying, This is a man who believes God. This is a man who dares to stand firm upon the promise of God and take from God what has been promised. Then came the answer. There are those in Arnold today who will verify the fact that while the brother prayed the house, shook like a leaf, just as an axe for, as God turned loose his mighty power. Dishes rattled upon the sideboard. An elder exclaimed, An earthquake? Then wave after wave of divine power swept through the room. At the same time, the Spirit of God swept through the village. People could not sleep. Houses were lit all night. People walked to the streets in great conviction. Others knelt by their bedsides, crying for God to pardon them. As the praying men left the prayer meeting, the preacher walked into a house for a glass of milk and found the lady of the house with seven others down upon their knees, crying for pardon. Within forty-eight hours, the bar, usually crowded with the drinking men of the village, was closed. Today it is in ruins. Fourteen young men who had been drinking there were gloriously converted. Those same men could be found three times a week with others, down upon their knees before God, from ten o'clock until after midnight, praying for their old associates and for the spread of revival. It was in this village that within 48 hours, nearly every young person between the ages of 12 and 20 had surrendered to Christ, and it was reckoned that every young man between the ages of 18 and 35 could be found in the prayer meetings. In Burn Ray, things were very difficult as the stream of religious life was very low. Churches were empty, and prayer meetings were practically nil. In view of this, a wire was sent to the praying men of Barvis to come and assist in prayer and bring with them Donald Smith, the 17-year-old boy to whom God had imparted the amazing ministry of prayer. Halfway through his message, the preacher stopped and called out, Donald, will you lead us in prayer? Standing to his feet, he began to pour out his heart before God in agonizing intercession for the people of the island and reminding God that he was the great covenant-keeping God. Suddenly, it seemed as though the heavens were rent and God swept into the church.
people everywhere were stricken by the power of God as the Spirit swept through in great convicting power. Outside, startling things were taking place. The Spirit of God had swept over the homes and the area around the village, and everywhere people came under great conviction of sin. Fishermen out in their boats, men behind their looms, men at the pit bank, a merchant out with his truck, school teachers grading their papers, were gripped by God. And by ten o'clock the roads were black with people streaming from every direction to the church. As the preacher came out of the church, the Spirit of God swept in among the people on the road as a wind. They gripped each other in fear. In agony of soul they trembled, many wept, and some fell to the ground in great conviction of sin. So tremendous was the supernatural moving of God in conviction of sin that not a home, not a family, not an individual escaped fearful conviction and even the routine of business was stopped so that the island could seek the face of God like Nineveh in the Bible days. The town was changed, lives and homes transformed, and even the fishing fleet, as it sailed out into the bays, took with it a presenter to lead them in prayer and the singing of hymns. Mighty God, we need you. You are a covenant-keeping God. And you promised you would send your Holy Spirit baptism to those who ask. You said you're more willing to do that than a parent is willing to give gifts to his child. Lord, I just stand today. You are a covenant-keeping God. You will do what you promised. Yes. And we're asking for the power of God to fall on this listening audience today. Yes turn their hearts almighty God bring conviction of sin bring holiness in the name of Jesus we pray amen Amen. we're out of time I'm Ray Greenley I'm Alexandra Greenley join us again tomorrow at the same time 1 to 2 p.m. and visit our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com God bless you we're praying for you we love you. Before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.